My name's Sky Blackburn and I beat the often path by farming edible insects. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, I showcase unusual success stories to help us think outside the box in our lives and careers and to radically redefine what success means because I don't believe that success should just mean made a ton of money. Well, today I've got such a cool guest on the show. Sky Blackburn has made an enormous impact in her native Australia with a truly innovative idea. She combined a lifelong passion for insects with a degree in food science to create a groundbreaking edible insect company. Today, she's educated and advocated for this all over her country. She's educated over a million people about the future of food and the importance of adding new sources like insects to our diets, not just for fun, but for the survival of our species. Her products are already in grocery stores, and her insect farms are a marvel of AI, solar power, and just general awesomeness. She's proof that the thing that makes you strange might just be your greatest asset. I can't wait for you to hear the tale of Sky Blackburn, founder of Circle Harvest. Farming edible insects. Now, everybody, when they're a kid, that's the first thing that they think of. That's what I thought. When I was four years old, I said, when I grow up, I'm going to farm edible insects. Did you have that too? No, definitely not. You, you didn't? <laughs> it came much later. No, it was completely wow. by accident. So. I thought every child had that as their goal. But you know what? When I was a kid, I was that, um, you know, the wee kid that had little bugs on their desk at school. And, um, you know, I'd be fascinated by all the creepy crawly things. I'd be in the bush going out catching um, like scorpions and um, uh, praying mantises and stick insects and things like that. So when I went to university, obviously I wanted to study entomology because I was a big bug nerd. But there's not really a lot of jobs in entomology in Australia. Um, So actually did a degree in food science at the same time because as most food scientists will know you like to have things a certain way and that fit in really well with my personality um so I accidentally ended up with a degree in food science and entomology um and a couple of years later actually started my own business farming insects for human consumption incredible so I've got to ask Steve Irwin he was hugely popular in my childhood was that was he popular in your neck of the woods or not yeah, so he's Australian, so right. obviously, like, he's super popular here, and he is still super popular. Um, when I was a, a little hero. kid, um, my mom used to get me, like, VHS tapes um, that had, like, National Geographic documentaries about bugs in South Africa yeah. and places like that. Um, yeah, so definitely Steve Irwin was the t- on the top of my list of one of the, um, the nature wranglers that I was watching at the time. So as a kid, you're inspired by the work that he was doing, because we... Growing up in the middle of nowhere in America, we're just so inspired by a show like that. It was so foreign to us going out in nature and wrestling with crocodiles, all of that (laughs) stuff. I lived in a very suburban town that had a single bowling alley and nothing going on. There was no nature to speak of. There were some mountains far away. But watching that, I've always admired that aspect of the Australian spirit, the willingness to go out in the outback. It's Maybe it's something of a stereotype, but it's... It's a very good stereotype, I think. So it's fascinating that you grew up feeling that way as well. 
Yeah, well, I think um, a lot of Australian kids, we're really lucky here because we have um, a lot of parkland and bushland available to us. So um, where I used to live, I would just walk across the road and we would have this beautiful nature park um, that went through kind of different um, types of forest. So it had like a wetland area and like a eucalyptus forest and a paperback forest in it, um, all in this beautiful walking track. And as you can imagine, if you're walking through there, you're seeing things like red belly black snakes and different kinds of spiders. So for a kid that loves nature, that was absolutely the best place to be. Wow. West Coast or East Coast? Uh, East Coast. East Coast. Okay. I did a trip once. I was in Sydney once and I did a trip all up the West Coast in Perth and all the way up. I have never seen so much nothing in all of my life. It's (laughs) truly shocking. I had a cell phone. It didn't work. It's gorgeous nothing. It's like being on an alien planet. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I had a cell phone. I got five minutes outside of Perth and that phone didn't work again for the next several days. You know what? It's Um, wild. We're located in Sydney and there's often times where we have no cell phone (laughs) service as well. So it's it's an ongoing problem in Australia. Yeah. And I remember driving and just having to drive with a full tank of gas and trying to get to the next quote unquote town and the gas being on empty in the camper van as I pulled into this town and it was just a house with a family (laughs) and a gas pump. Yeah. And I thought if you weren't there, we'd be so screwed because we have no backup plan. We have no way of contacting anybody. So it's, it's an adventure for sure. And I guess that closeness with nature is something that you just don't have in a lot of other places on earth. Yeah, I think so. And normally when you're traveling traveling in the outback like you are, normally you need to take like a satellite phone with you instead of um, like your regular mobile phone. Um, And you would need to as well take extra cans of petrol just in case you didn't actually make it to the next place that had petrol. Or what if you got to the next place and they had run out of petrol? Then you you would have been screwed, right? Do you know how many hours I was in the car thinking about that as my hands gripped the steering wheel? I was, what if? What if? What if? No, we were very stupid, obviously. Very foolish college students, but uh, (laughs) all of your points are well taken. Um, Okay, so you started with one thing and then you got morphed into another thing, which I think is such a cool thing because part of the premise of my show is that very few people have a straight path towards something. Very few people stick with one thing. But oftentimes some piece of that first thing comes back into what their passion ends up being or what their career ends up being, even if they can't see those connections at the beginning of it. So you found yourself becoming a food scientist because you thought there's some work here. You got the degree. So how did it start to come about that you came with the idea to incorporate insects as a food source? Where did that begin? Yeah, so it's kind of a long story, but um, just kind of the shorter version. So I was actually working as a food scientist in a pet manufacturing company, um, and I started my own business, my own education business. So um, in that business, we'll go to schools and teach kids all about um, insects. So things like butterflies and giant cockroaches and all those kinds of things, right? So it fits in with the school curriculum here in Australia because that's something that is um, something that all the kids will learn about. Um, And we had just come back from Thailand and we had tried insect protein there for the very first time. So I had some some really big uh, field crickets. They had chilli and garlic on them and they were disgusting. 
to, to tell you the truth. When I did it, it like exploded with all this oil. It was way too much chili for me. Um, but then next to it, they actually had some bamboo worms and the bamboo worms had a little bit of ginger on them and some lemongrass. And I tried those. They had kind of the texture of um, rice bubbles to them. And I really liked the lemongrass flavoring. So it kind of just showed me that um, eating insects can be really interesting, but it's just like a steak. Like you can cook it really badly and it can taste bad or depending how prepared then it can taste really good so for my education company we're actually doing this expo and I was looking for something unique um, to kind of draw people over to our stand and I grabbed my little brother and we actually made a thousand of these lollipops that had real bugs on the inside so they had crickets and mealworms and scorpions and ants and things like that Um, and we sold out within a couple of hours which was really amazing But the weeks after, I was actually getting calls from the newspaper, marketing companies, lolly shops that all wanted to stock these edible insect lollipops. Um, And being a food scientist, there was no information about the nutritional content of these kinds of foods. So I sent away some crickets and mealworms for nutritional testing in a food laboratory. Um, And when I got the results back, I was actually shocked that no one was eating them as a source of food. They were just so nutrient dense. So it was kind of at that time that I felt I had the perfect combination of skills to convince people that this was a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) And our business has kind of just grown from there. So when we first started, um, we started doing lollipops, chocolate coated bugs, more kind of novel things um, because the market wasn't ready for the kinds of products that we have now. But as the market has changed over time and we've educated the market about all these amazing benefits as insects as a source of food, um, now we actually have insect protein products on supermarket shelves in Australia, which is fantastic. That's so cool. And is that your doing or are there other companies? Is it a whole movement? Um, yeah, so we're, we're Australia's largest insect protein farm. So we started farming them in 2007, so quite a long time ago now. Um, so our products are on shelves at the moment. We have a few smaller farms that have just started to come up um, that are starting their own um, edible insect food brands as well, which is really amazing. Um, and we're seeing consumers' perception kind of change over time. So when we first started doing this, obviously there's a little bit of more of a stigma attached around insect protein. And if we were doing like a food expo or something like that, there was this huge force field around us. Like people didn't want to come and engage with us because they didn't know what we were doing. They didn't really understand. Um, Now we actually get invited to come to all these amazing events. So things like um, the Sydney Royal Easter Show, which is like one of the biggest consumer-based shows here in Australia. They get millions of people to come through um, in a couple of weeks. And they invited us to come and do cooking demos about insect proteins, which is amazing. So now we have people come up to us and they've heard about what we do. They've heard about insect proteins, how sustainable they are, how nutrient dense they are, and they want to learn more and they want to try them. Incredible. You know, it calls to mind. Did you ever watch the show Chef's Table? Do you know that show? I love it. Yep, yep. One of my favorite shows, and one of the guys was a chef from Brazil and in the Amazonas region, and he talks about eating a kind of ant, and he brings it to his restaurant, and he tastes, like you said, a lemongrass taste when you said you were in Thailand. And he thought that they added lemongrass to the ant, but it turned out that the ant itself had a powerful lemongrass taste because of what it ate. Uh, So you must be well aware of all of those kinds of things that these flavor profiles, maybe that worm that you had wasn't, maybe there was no lemongrass added to it at all. 
Yeah, and you know what? Different. We work a lot with um, a lot of the chefs here in Australia, in Australia's top restaurants, to supply them with different kinds of um, insects with different flavour profiles. So if you've got something like a cricket, a cricket has like a mild almondy kind of flavour to it, but it's kind of like tofu, so it absorbs the flavours that are around it. So if you're adding it to something, it kind of hides hides on the inside if that makes sense um if you've got something more like a mealworm they have more of like a walnutty kind of oily aftertaste to them um and they've got the texture of rice bubbles which is really cool so i actually make um like a chop i don't know if you guys know what chocolate crackles are <laughs> we make them I, in australia i don't so, but i think i can imagine what it is is it so like a rice crispy with chocolate yeah, it's kind of like rice crispy with chocolate but no marshmallows yeah. in it i assume right. rice crispy have marshmallows yeah um so make kind of like one of those but with um a mixture of the rice bubbles and mealworms in them which is really cool and then you have ants and ants have completely different flavor profiles depending on what kind of ant it is so we're actually doing an event where we're making an ant and guava ice cream and we taste tested like 10 different kinds of ants so we could get (laughs) the right kind of flavor profile to go in with the ice cream that we were making Um, and they can have like a lemony flavor or like a woody flavor or even like a strawberry kind of flavor to them so cool So outrageous. All right. Before we get into the founding of the business itself, I've got to know, can you explain a little bit about what food science is in general for the ignorant among us, namely me? You know what? We were talking about this the other day. So food science is actually a really awesome career. And there's so many different things that you can do in food science. So um, there's a lot of maths involved, um, engineering, um, chemistry as well, food process engineering. um, And there's so many different careers in food science. So it's really, really hard to describe it very succinctly because there's so many different things that you can do. But there's so much science that goes behind food. And to make your favourite food that you would eat all the time anyway, um, so try and think of maybe like an Oreo, the science that goes behind making an Oreo, um, the maths that goes behind making an Oreo and making each individual Oreo exactly the same every single time and make a million of them um, is absolutely amazing. So if you're looking for a new career, a career in food science is very diverse. (laughs) That's so good. Well, I think we have, I have this perception of the art of food science as going through some twists and turns over time. So the way I see it is we have this period in human history where it was very difficult to store food, where it was very difficult to manufacture and repeat food, especially in the winter months. And then you've got this revolution, better living through chemistry, where all of these new processes are invented. Things like the Twinkie come out, you get homogenization, pasteurization, all of these different ways of making shelf-stable food. Twinkie can last for 50 years in a bomb shelter, canned food, all of that. And I think in the 50s, the 40s, it was looked at as mostly just a purely positive thing. Food has gotten better and it's helped feed the world. So many great things came from it. But now we're kind of seeing the other side of that coin where so many unhealthy things came from it. And we're seeing the flip side that it's really bad for you, possibly even carcinogenic. Some of the most heavily processed foods are actually the worst for you, whether it's meat or other things. So how do you see the role of food science now since it could be like an evil science, and perhaps in the case of Oreo or other things, it's often an evil science, how do you use something like that for good and not for evil? 
Yeah, well, you know, one of the examples that I like to use is um, I've got this ad from the 1950s that is um, a baby drinking from a 7-Up bottle. So, and on that ad, it's full saying things like, um, oh, how wonderful is it? If your baby doesn't like to drink milk, just give it 7-Up instead and your baby will be happy. Mm. Um, Nowadays, consumers' perception about what is okay um, for food has changed over time. So we're definitely moving more towards flexitarian diets where we're eating natural, healthy, local, um, nutrient-dense foods is the most important thing. So um, what food scientists are doing at the moment is they're actually future-proofing our food system, making sure that the types of foods that are coming into our food system now are going to be able to feed our future population because the way that we produce our food at the moment, um, we're really not going to be able to have enough food to feed everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way it is certainly in this country is that a lot of the quote-unquote food isn't food at all. It's just some yeah, combination exactly. of chemicals and cheese shavings and sawdust that they package in 400 different ways. Yep. None and of it is nutrition. Those kinds of things as well, they're actually really carbon intensive. So they put a really, really heavy strain on our environment. And the food product that you're getting out of the end actually doesn't have um, very good nutrition for your body. So when you're looking at what you're purchasing at the supermarket, if you're purchasing those whole minimally processed natural foods that don't contain preservatives and things like that, it's actually heaps better for your body. And it's heaps better for our planet as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So true. So you send these things off. You have no idea what you're about to uncover with this. You send it off to the lab. It comes back and you say, wow, there's something here. What were the results that you found that were so encouraging or exciting or surprising? Yeah, so um, the... So we sent away a cricket protein powder. So the cricket protein powder was 68% digestible protein. So we actually have enzymes in our guts that are there to digest the types of proteins that are found in insects. Um, It had four times as much calcium as cow's milk, three times as much iron as spinach, three times the amount of omega-3 as salmon in there. It was super high in B12. Um, uh, It had all nine essential amino acids um, and all these essential micronutrients as well. So things like phosphorus, potassium, and zinc and magnesium and manganese so really it had everything that your body needs it had it was low in fat um, and low in carbs as well um, in this tiny little package and it was all natural which is a bonus you know what I mean we don't need to add any chemicals into the food because we can naturally get everything our body needs from all these proteins and micronutrients that are found in the insects so good So how has the response been? Obviously, a lot of vegetarian people, this is something that I'm very curious about. How has the response been from vegetarian or vegan people to this product? Are there any that would say that they would make an exception for this specifically? Um, Yeah, definitely. So it really depends why you're vegetarian or vegan. So what your reasons are behind it. But we are finding that um, a lot of vegetarians and vegans that are that way because of environmental or ethical reasons will definitely look at adding insect proteins as a source of protein in their diet because often they're missing out on the B12s and they're getting the B12s from unnatural sources. Um, So if they include the insect proteins in their diet, it's actually better for their bodies and it's better environmentally for their diet as well. And does it have any of those adverse health effects? Like we know that consuming red meat is very bad. It can cause all kinds of like colon cancer, those sorts of things. Does do insects have any of that associated with them or are they better somehow and why? No, so um, in evolution, 
people were actually hunter-gatherers. So insects were part of our natural diet before we were able to commercialise agriculture. So as we commercialised agriculture, insects kind of fell out of our diet because it wasn't something that we could farm kind of on a commercial scale. Um, now that we're able to do that, it's fantastic because we can include insects as part of a balanced diet. So we wouldn't be telling people that, you know, eat insects is your only source of protein. We're looking at this more as a holistic approach where, you know, you can have a little bit of red meat you can eat other sources of proteins including plant proteins or um, proteins made from algae and seaweed and things like that but insect proteins are definitely a piece of the puzzle that you should be including Mm -hmm. and have people been receiving this well like you said it's popular it's becoming it's sold in australian stores now are people coming around i feel like here not it hasn't happened quite yet but i still feel like it will happen eventually Yeah, well, in Australia, I feel like we are very open-minded when it comes to food. So a lot of the foods that we get um, come from other countries and um, other places, which is fantastic. So like in the 1980s, we didn't have sushi here in Australia. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So um, that wasn't that long ago. Um, So I feel like, um, yeah, definitely people are looking for, you know, more flexitarian diets where they're looking for natural, healthy, local foods. And insect proteins really ticks all the boxes for people. And once they realise that you don't have to be eating um, all the legs and wings and antennas that you would expect when you're eating insect proteins, it's something that they can definitely include in their diet all the time. Yeah. So describe to me, were you pulled into creating this business, would you say? Were you just encouraged you made those lollipops and people asked you, were you pulled into doing it? more than you pushed the idea outward? Um, Yeah, I feel like the demand was uh, really there for education around this. So when we first started, as I said, we started as an education business. So as soon as I learned about um, the amazing benefits of insect proteins, I actually included a program called Future Food in our school program. So we run that from preschools all the way up to universities. Like I go and lecture at universities for their um, animal science students and food science students now. Um, and in the past 15 years, we've actually seen over 1.3 million students come through that program. Program. Um, and all of those people actually have a better understanding of our food system than their parents and their grandparents did. Um, so now I was actually um, not that long ago in the supermarket and I've got three little kids and this grown man came up to me and he's like, hey, are you that bug lady? And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> stay away from my children. Right. And he wanted to explain that um, when he was uh, in year five or six, which he would have been like 10 or 11 years old, I went to his school and taught him all about about edible insects and the future of food and our food system. And that kind of really stuck with him. And um, he includes insects in his diet because he really believes in it too. And I literally nearly burst into tears and fell on the floor. I was just so happy because when you go and you speak to children, you don't know if they're taking in what you're saying or if you've made an impact on them. And even if, you know, one out of every session of kids grows up to have a better understanding of our food system and take something away from that, that's actually making a huge difference. That's so validating. And you probably have this vision that you've taught all of these people and you think I've done all of this work, but you don't know if you're really making a difference. You you kind yeah. of know that you are, but you don't directly know that you are until somebody yeah. says, 
It stuck and with me. You know what? Um, when we go into schools, one of the first questions that I ask the class is who has tried edible insects before? And normally you'll get one or two kids put their hand up. Maybe the teacher's been to Thailand or something like that, or they've been to one of the restaurants that we supply before. And I went to this school at Bondi um, last year and I asked the same question and about 40 out of 80 kids had put up their hands and I thought they misheard the what I was saying, like the question. So I went to repeat it and the teacher started laughing and they said, oh, no, they all have cricket protein corn chips in their lunchbox for school instead of sandwiches because the shop across the road actually sold them in, in the shop. So that just made me feel so good because all of these kids are eating that every day for their lunch instead of having a sandwich that might not have um, as much nutritional value for them incredible that's so incredible that this whole movement is happening and you're such a big part of it i'm blown away so <laughs> on the business side you sell a lot of products now how did you start expanding your product range you've got a quite an impressive array of different things yeah so um we actually uh as we did events every time we did a special event we'll kind of trial a new product um we've had a website and we sell a lot of products through our website and that's a fantastic opportunity for us because we felt that retailers weren't ready for our kinds of products yet but there was a lot of people that wanted them so we offered them through our website we offered them at special events and it gave us the opportunity to listen to customer feedback um, and find out what they wanted and how they could include insect proteins um in their diet in like a really, really easy way. So um, over, you know, the past 15 years, we've kind of collected all these really awesome recipes. We have our own food manufacturing facility um, and farm that's together. So all of our products we make on our own site. Um, so we kind of feel that, um, like our cricket protein corn chips is fantastic because it's kind of a ready-to-eat product. You don't have to learn how to use insect protein. It's a product that already has it in there for you. Um, and things like uh, we've got a lemon myrtle and saffron pasta. So instead of having your regular white pasta, you can just swap it and have a high-protein, high-calcium pasta, and it looks and tastes the same as you would expect. Um, or even like a granola for breakfast in the morning, and um, it has half of your daily iron intake in that little scoop of granola. So um, kind of looking at foods that um, people already eat anyway, and we're just enriching them with like our special invisible little ingredients. Yeah. And I think as somebody who was, uh, I was a hardcore vegan for a couple of years, and then I had to lax a bit. I found it very difficult practically to keep yeah. it up. And I was living in Europe at the time. It's just very difficult from a practical standpoint, living in the world and getting the nutrition that you need. You have to be educated and you have to know what you're doing. And I think the idea of swapping something out for something yeah. better or more, that's such a powerful concept because we know yeah. that a lot of these things that we eat are just filler or just junk. Or you say the pasta is good, but I don't want just empty carbs. So anything that you can swap with something that's better is, is really good in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I think I it's think huge. You know, when you normally have your regular bag of corn chips um, and then you eat Only that whole bag. bag of corn chips. Right. And then feel terrible. Yes. And then afterwards you feel like, you know what I could have? another bag of those corn chips Easily. because it didn't actually give your body any kind of nutrition. So that was the problem. But if you eat a bag of the corn chips that are made using the cricket protein powder, that little 50 gram bag has more protein than an egg in there. It's got 14% of your RGI of B12. It's got heaps of your iron as well. And it's got magnesium and magnesium stops you getting sugar cravings as well as the amino acids. So when you're eating that, your body actually feels really satisfied afterwards and it's 
stops you wanting to snack again. So looking at things like that where you are getting the the kind of snack that you want because you still want that crunchy, salty snack, but it's giving your body nutrition. I think that's the key to these kinds of um, new foods and alternative proteins. Well, I hope you realize that you've made a tremendous mistake a horrible mistake because the whole point of being a food scientist is to make me not satisfied, to make me eat that second bag of chips, to make me constantly crave more unhealthy food. If you're going to stop that, that goes against everything in the food scientist handbook. No, it doesn't because food scientists aren't evil geniuses, okay? They want people to have healthy lives. They want people to eat nutrient-dense foods and they want people to eat sustainably because we um, are all really focused on our planet at the moment. So looking at these new kinds of foods that are coming out, eating more flexitarian diets and plant-based diets um, is definitely something that food scientists are pushing towards. Well, that's a very diplomatic answer. And obviously, I was just kidding, of course. Uh, so describe to me your typical day. Are you still doing mostly advocacy or do you divide your time between running the business? How do you structure your time? Oh, I 100% do not have a typical day, which I get asked this question all the time because we do so many things and we have so many exciting opportunities um, that we get to have because we have such a unique business um, and the passion that we have as well. We love to share that with people. So some days we might be doing um, uh, like this just this week. Um, I've been doing lectures at a university for animal science students and they will be kind of our next um, insect farmers insect food farmers do you know what I mean um or um I'm actually doing a thing with the government at the moment where we're going into schools and trying to correct um trying to attract girls into science and engineering careers um then one day you know I might be in the farm doing cleaning of um, enclosures for insects or developing new products or doing food processing so there's lots and lots of different things and I really like it that way because um I feel so lucky that I get to do all these amazing things and have these fantastic opportunities um, and get to do something that I really love at the same time. Do you feel that your passion came after success or success came after passion? Did you develop passion along the way or did you have it at the start? Um, I feel like I had it at the start um, and that's why we've been successful because we all have a passion for this. We all see the importance of this in our future food system. And even though when we first started, like I was that weird bug lady, like I still am the weird bug lady, but, you know, a little bit more weird um, and definitely ahead of our time, people didn't understand the importance of insects as a source of food. Um, and now people are definitely changing their minds, which is fantastic. Yeah, that and that brings up such an interesting point. To what degree do people who are weird, I think there are so many people in this world who feel weird or who might identify themselves as that weird something, something. Yep. And one of the biggest reasons why I do this show is because I am celebrating weirdness. And I believe that what is often our most weird thing is our biggest strength, contrary to a lot of what people are told. So how do you feel about leaning into one's weirdness, whatever it may be, for building a business or finding a career? 
How do those things go together? How does somebody turn the weird thing into, yeah, but I'm also successful and I'm also really happy? <laughs> um, uh, I think persistence. So um, in our case, it's actually taken 15 years for people to come around to our way of thinking. And we have supported our business through education because we have had that um, education kind of element. And I feel like if what you're doing is a little bit unusual, education is really the key to driving forward your business. So look at um, different kinds of channels that you can use to help educate people about why you do what you do and why you're passionate about it. And you know what? Em embrace that weirdness. Like if nobody wants like cookie cutter, like everything is the same all the time, having something that's a little bit out of the box and a little bit quirky is absolutely fantastic. And that's what people want. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there, I think. And we're, there are so many examples of, of people who have done that and embraced their weirdness and succeeded and come out happy. But there are still so many examples of people who feel defective. They feel that there, there must be something wrong with me because I like something that nobody else does. And when you don't get that validation, especially in the early years, when you've got maybe 15 years before they see your point of view, how can people get through those hard times and understand that, no, you're not defective and not only are you not defective, but that might be the very thing that is your greatest strength down the road? Yeah, definitely. I feel like um, having the support of your family and friends because they're obviously they're, um, your biggest advocates, but they're also your biggest critics. So sometimes, um, you know, having that sounding board to sound off and having that really honest conversation about, you know, do you feel like I'm going down the right path is definitely um, fantastic to have if you've got that person that can do that for you. Um, or even if you don't have that person, we've got all all of these amazing channels with social media now, you can find like-minded people that kind of have your same kind of passion and you can do it quite easily. There's um, like Facebook and Instagram groups and all these kinds of things in Reddit. Um, yeah, where you can definitely find people that have the same kinds of ideas as you. So it might not be exactly the same thing, but, you know, the ethics might align or, you know, that fundamental kind of thinking might align. So, um, yeah, as you can imagine like when I started doing this people were like you're never gonna get insect proteins onto shelves in supermarkets that's just ridiculous honey like go back and go to your normal job where you're making cakes you know what I mean? um but you know I just um kind of stuck with that I was very determined I, I used to say I was stubborn and someone said don't say stubborn say determined so I was very determined to convince people and you know it's paying off for us now so definitely if you have someone to sound off your ideas that's um 100% what you should be doing and um don't put all your eggs in one basket. Be flexible with your ideas. So when we first started, we started doing more novel kinds of foods because that's what the market was ready for. So the lollipops and chocolate coated bugs and things like Shock that. Shock value. But, yeah, right. But as the market changed and people became more educated, then we were able to do these amazing food products that we've always wanted to do, but the market just wasn't ready for it. So having that flexibility is really important. Wow. And your parents and your family, they were supportive in the beginning or did they say you're crazy? 
um no everybody was pretty supportive because obviously I've always been into bugs since I was a little kid so um for them um having me follow my passion in have a career where I could play with bugs all day was (laughs) was really awesome um and now I have three little kids of my own and they really love bugs as well so um yeah so I feel like it's coming full circle for us (laughs) so good so good (laughs) Do you feel, is this a lifelong passion for you? Do you feel that this is the same thing you want to be doing forever? Just keep expanding this mission? Or do you think it's the kind of business that you'll sell one day and start something else? Um, no, I feel like I'll be doing this until the day that I'm gone and I'll be the bug food, you know what I mean, <laughs> going back yeah. into the soil. But, um, yeah, definitely I feel like there's always room to grow. We can um, – our mission is to feed more people using less resources and the more people that we can feed doing this, um, the the more passionate we get about it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's worth touching on just since we haven't, Tell us a little bit about the difference in the amount of resources required to make protein from insects versus any other means. Yeah, what are some, so, any stats you can list off or rough yeah. ballpark? So we actually farm our insects indoors. So we convert unused warehouse spaces into insect protein farms, which means that we can stack, we can control the temperature and humidity, but we can actually stack um, our specially designed enclosures on top of each other. So that means that we're using the space really efficiently. We're not taking up any farmland to be able to feed them as well. Um, We actually circle fruit and vegetable waste that would normally go to landfill back into our food system as feed for our insects as well. So that means that if you replace just one meat-based meal a week with a meal that uses crickets as your source of protein instead, you actually save over 100,000 litres of drinking water a year. So that's about four swimming pools full of water. Um, we create one one hundredth of the amount of greenhouse gases. We run on 80% solar at the moment, but we're moving into a larger farm. So we'll be running on 100% solar very shortly. Um, and because insects are mammals like us, they don't waste a lot of temp- uh, a lot of energy maintaining a set body temperature they're a little bit more go with the flow so nearly all of what they eat gets converted directly into body mass so if you've got um, 10 kilos of feed you can produce about one kilo of beef or you can produce nine kilos of cricket protein Wow. Um, and life cycle is actually heap shorter as well. So um, if you, um, for you to get uh, beef to a stage where you would be able to eat it, it takes about 18 months. Um, to get the crickets to a stage where you would harvest them, it only takes about six weeks. And then in that six weeks, we can make powders, oils, paste, even like a milk kind of product out of the crickets. And then it can be added to the foods that you already like. That's just phenomenal. I mean, and it makes sense because I've often thought, Anybody who's thinking about becoming a vegetarian or changing their food or diet in any way, you have to ask yourself, and certainly here in the United States, you can buy a pound of chicken for roughly the same price, or let's say a pound of beef for roughly the same price you can buy a pound of corn. And knowing how many thousands of pounds of corn and other grain that a cow has to eat to produce that pound of beef, it's easy to see that there's just no way that there's a balance there, that the amount of resources that go into that are clearly insane, but through subsidies and this weird accounting and weird government intervention, nobody really knows how that works. And I think it's deliberately obscured from the end consumer. Part of that's a good thing, keeping prices low for everybody. But part of it is we have no concept of how wasteful these products are. And there's really no indication on the packaging of how much water went into it or how much other resources had to go into making it, right? 
Yeah, and you know what? We've got a lot of farmers here in Australia that are doing amazing things with traditional kinds of agriculture at the moment. So they're looking more towards regenerative farming, which um, is fantastic. Yeah, because it means that um, we can still produce those traditional forms of livestock, but it's in a much more sustainable way. So when we're looking at the future of farming, those are kinds of the things that you'll be seeing. We'll be moving away from more industrialised agriculture and moving more towards these um, regenerative farming techniques. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there any drawback that you can see? Is there anything? Could this scale all the way? Could insect protein replace all meat protein, in your opinion, or no? Um, it could, but you know what, there's always going to be that internal kind of ick factor when it comes to bugs. So it's not going to be for everybody. And we believe in having, um, like a whole diet. So not just one source of protein. Um, so that includes, um, uh, like meat and fish and plants as well. Um, different kinds of legumes and nuts. They're all part of our um, future food system. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like we'll be moving more to more towards, um, cellular based agriculture, um, and away from these traditional farms um, because eventually those will be a more sustainable option and then um, the animal welfare aspect of it is taken out. That's very exciting too. But you said always, and you also said earlier in 1980 that Australians and also Americans thought sushi would always have the ick factor. So I'm not so sure it'll always have the ick factor, especially if the food tastes delicious. If you get into people's hearts and minds, why why should it? Yeah, you kind of have to think of it just as an ingredient. So when you think about eating jelly, like I know that Americans like jelly, right? You don't think, oh, I'm eating the boiled skins and hooves of cows and pigs because that's what gelatin is. You just think of gelatin as an ingredient. When we're looking at the future of food and insect proteins as part of that, we're looking at insect proteins as just an ingredient. It's just a food. It's not something that's weird or strange or novel or unusual. It's just going to be food. Just crunch patties. That's all you need to know. <laughs> it's a delicious crunch. I don't know what that is. <laughs> exactly. It, but it sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's easy to see that it'll become normalized. So for yeah, people- and, and it's well, it's well in its way. So there's lots of countries around the world that are um, uh, putting regulations around the sale of insect-based food. So in Australia, we actually did that in 2015. Um, they were moved from the novel food register. So now they just have the same kinds of standards as anything else you'll purchase in the supermarket. So as other countries kind of follow suit, you'll definitely be seeing more kinds of um, insect protein products available on shelves. I can't wait. If somebody's got a weird, they've got a weird background or they're not quite sure how they can make a business out of what they love, what advice do you have uh, for somebody about starting a business based on their passion? Or how do you know if it's viable? How do you combine what you think will work with what you really care about? Um, I feel like you really need to do some research around the market that you're looking into. So for us, it's food, right? So we already had um, connections in food that we could go around and talk to different people um, about kind of food trends that are coming up. So you need to kind of talk to people that are in the industry, um, experts in the industry, and kind of um, find out where they feel um, the industry is going. And you don't even need to give them your ideas, 
but you can kind of take that information away and then go, you know what, um, at the moment, this is not the right time to launch this kind of business, but I'm going to keep my finger on the pulse and it might be something I can launch in the future. Um, or if you feel like it's something that is going to be happening very soon and it might be a good time to launch, then you have the opportunity to kind of be a little bit ahead of everybody else and launch it fairly quickly. So um, in our instance, like we have lots of companies now that are selling um, insect protein based products and lots of farms that are coming up around the world, which is fantastic. Um, and um, it's fantastic to see that that kind of progression when 15 years ago, it wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. How did you approach funding in the early days? Um, we actually just bootstrap. We've, we have 100% bootstrap till now, which is fantastic. Wow. So um, as Amazing. I said, we were flexible. So yeah. when we started our education company, we were using the money that we were getting from going to schools um, to help kind of fund the growth of our edible insect business. Um, and now it's kind of reversed. So now we're using our funds from our edible insect business to help grow our education business. That's so cool. Every piece of this is just an incredible story. I love all of the components of what you're all about. It all fits together in a brilliant way. It all seems so logical. And yet it's so crazy. That's the part that's the most interesting. Thing. When you, you say it, what? it sounds so logical. Yeah, but then uh, nothing was done deliberately. Everything was, um, you know, done as the needs arise. And but now it just fits to kind of together really perfectly. And because we do need to look at alternative proteins for our food system, um, we've kind of had the jump on insect proteins, which is fantastic. Um, but definitely, you know, if you're starting your own business, look at um, you know, different ways to be flexible and different ways that you can fund it yourself. And then you don't have to answer to anybody else. You can be flexible and move as you feel like you want to move and make your own decisions in really fast time. Mm-hmm. Were there any notable failures along the way? Were there any moments when it looked hopeless, when it really seemed impossible? Um, there was lots of moments that felt that way. <laughs> Um, lots of times when, um, you know, you feel like you're not really going anywhere or, um, you know, you're not going in the right direction or you feel like giving up, but then the next day is a new day and new opportunities can come about. And, you know, we've stuck at this for 15 years before we've got it on supermarket shelves. So, um, yeah, definitely think of tomorrow as a new day. If you need a break, take a break, regroup and come back. And that's because you're very, st- I mean, determined. Determined. 100% <laughs> determined. We're not allowed to use the ST word. It's We're going to yeah. eliminate it from our vocabulary. <laughs> that's such, such wise insight. Is there anything, because I like to focus on the unusual, is there any piece of unusual advice that you believe or just something very unusual or out of the box that has helped you in your own life that not a lot of people might think or agree with? Not that I can think of (laughs) off the top of my head, but um, yeah, I think my life just in general is quite unusual. So people looking into my life would feel that it's very unusual, but because, you know, I'm inside, so it's a little bit hard for for me to see. But, um, yeah, definitely, like, if you walk into my living room, you might see, like, some containers with giant burrowing cockroaches on them or tarantulas on the dining table, um, maybe some butterflies in a little cage that we're about to go and do some kind of show or something like that. And you kind of forget when... um, 
people come into the house and there's, you know, a, ta- a dining table full of bugs, um, that that's not normal in every household. But because, you know, we've been doing it for such a long time, you don't even think twice. <laughs> you don't even think twice about them being there. But definitely when you have new people, like when my um, my kids um got their friends if their parents might come over to pick up their kids and things like that um yeah then uh, there's like a lot of conversation around why there's a tarantula on the dining table (laughs) right you say that's breakfast (laughs) just like passing the bowl no No, you don't eat tarantulas i'm assuming no you don't eat tarantulas yeah of course uh, because that would be crazy oh yeah right who would do that pick your your insects wise yeah tarantulas are friends Yeah. I've been told. What about black widows? Are they friends? Are you have? I don't think you, so. We have red have back, red back spiders. spiders. Yeah, that's the equivalent. We've got yeah. tons of black widows here. Uh, they're too. They're too small. They're too, too small. small yeah, that would be. <laughs> so many creepy crawlies out there. <laughs> so many. Um, so you've received a bunch of accolades. You've received a bunch of awards. How does that feel? Does Does that change anything? Do you care about external recognition like that? I don't really care about external recognition, but for us, it's really fantastic because um, it kind of helps to cement our place as experts in our area. So we've got awards for like education and sustainability and, um, you know, different all different kinds of awards like those kinds of things which is fantastic because then people can go on our website and they can see all of these different things that have been you know assessed by external people that are not within our company and then have said oh you know what you're doing a really good job so um it kind of helps us um validate our business a little bit to new customers that are coming in Mm -hmm. yep that makes sense and you can explain it and you can overcome that first hurdle which is why should i trust this and i'm scared for newbies But you're covering that with the kids are fine because they understand. But it's those people who are just saying, I don't know about this. You're saying, look, it's legitimate. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, disgust is one of the only learnt behaviors. So uh, a learnt emotion, sorry. So we grow up knowing how to be happy and sad and angry and all that kind of stuff. But we learn disgust from the people that are around us. So that's why we kind of focus on um, uh, educating students at a really young age, because we can get to them before they've developed that disgust behavior, that disgust reaction to insect based um, foods. And they actually, they're fantastic advocates for us because they go away and they tell their parents and they tell their grandparents about it. And then um, those adults are then coming back to our website to learn a little bit more because they want to talk about it with their kids. Disgust is one of the only learned. I did not know that. And that is a mind blowing fact in itself. But when you think about it, though, it makes sense, right? It does. And there are so many implications of that far beyond this. Yeah. But wow, it's a learned behavior. That's a study that said that you've read that. That's, that's, just, uh, yeah. So if you just Google it, it. Yeah. So it's called, um, it's a learned emotion. So if you Google it, it's got lots of university studies and things like that about Incredible. it. Incredible. Okay. That'll be my next little Wikipedia rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go down that one and figure that. Oh, it turns out all of these things. Yeah. So many implications for that. Uh, all right. So the next five years, the next couple years, what do you see happening? If everything goes amazingly beyond your wildest dreams, what does outrageous success look like from here forward? Oh, really outrageous success. So, um, Best case scenario. 
Uh, some of the little wins that we're having at the moment. So we're um, we're rolling out our cricket protein corn chips into school canteens, about 6,000 school canteens in Australia at the moment, which is very exciting for us because we've developed that product specifically for children. Um, and then um, kind of in the next five years, we will be um, moving our brand of insect proteins offshore, so away from Australia, and we'll be establishing cricket protein, cricket protein farms in key locations around the world. So that we can supply local food to local communities using their local food waste stream because there's no point in us making this super sustainable product and then shipping it all over the world. That just doesn't make sense to us. Mm. Um, so we'll be um, establishing our farms in different locations depending on where there's need. Do you think, is the U.S. one of those places? Do you have yeah, any plan definitely. To okay. It's a huge market for us. That would be insane. Do you have any concrete plans or is that just a potential... Uh, so we're actually at the moment we're moving into a larger farm here in Australia and we're implementing, we've developed robotics and artificial intelligence that help us like feed, clean and monitor the insects so we can bring down the cost of our production processes. Once we've kind of got that all down pat and everything's running nice and smoothly, then we'll be moving forward with plans um, for different different continents. Incredible. And then you can license that technology. You can help spread that around the world it's brilliant exactly and then we're feeding more people right yes i support it i'm wholeheartedly in support of this i think it's a phenomenal initiative born from a very unlikely starting point how cool is that yeah. <laughs> that's that's what we're doing here that's what we're here for well I, I i can't thank you enough for taking the time to sit with me and to share your remarkable story i think it's absolutely fascinating i think it's just amazing and as weird and strange as this might sound for some, I just have no doubt that we'll all come around eventually. It just it may take some years or some decades, and maybe some countries before others, maybe America will lag behind. I'm not sure, but eventually it will become normalized. It has to. I, I don't I, see I it being so. any other and way. I don't think it's really that far away before it becomes normalized. Some of the food products that are coming out now that contain insect proteins are absolutely amazing. So um, you wouldn't, you would buy them the first time, maybe because it's kind of a little bit novel, but you would eat it again because it tastes absolutely fantastic. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. um, that's kind of the key with any kind of new food. You want people to keep coming back and trying it because um, it tastes really, really good for them. And it just happens to be good for them as well. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And, and th there's a chance that they prefer it. There's a chance yeah. that you actually like it better, that it's not just almost as good as chicken, but it's better. There's a chance that it opens up a whole new category for chefs, for people, for all kinds of different things. So exactly, I think framing it that way is so important too. And the fact that you've worked with chefs to experiment in that way and the ice cream flavors and all that, that's such a big piece of it because so much of life is just, is it as good as this other thing? Yeah. Whereas very few people ask the question of, but what if it's better? Yeah. What if it's better than chicken or beef? What if it's actually more enjoyable and it's better? And you know what? It's more flexible as well because you don't have to have it as a, a protein, like a standalone protein source. You don't have to have it as a sausage or a hot dog or a burger, right? Um, we're not replacing those kinds of things. You can actually include the insect proteins in foods that you wouldn't expect. So you don't have to go specifically to eat protein. You can have it when you're having your snack. You can have it when you're having your breakfast. You can be cooking brownies for your kids' lunch boxes and they can have insect proteins in them. Um, and, you know, it can be in places that you don't expect it to be. Amazing. Amazing. 
Well, as we reach the end of the hour here, again, I can't thank you enough. I want to leave the floor to you. So if there's any, you can have the last word. Do you want to promote anything? Do you want to share anything? What action <laughs> you want people to take? I leave the closing of this episode entirely to you to say whatever you like. Oh, so I feel like um, everybody thinks that they have to be doing really big things to make a big difference. But, you know, if everybody is taking a straw instead of, um, you know, a, a plastic straw instead of a paper straw, then there's millions and millions of plastic straws that end up in landfill. So what you can actually do is you can make little choices for yourself. Um, it doesn't have to be big. It can be one or two things a month that you can do. Um, and all these really add up to make a big difference. So we need people um, not eating perfectly sustainable, but eating imperfectly sustainably, if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. It does. Well, I can think of no better way to wrap it up there. So again, Sky, thank you very much for taking the time. And uh, with that, the official podcast is over. I'm going to make a prediction about you. You woke up this morning and you said to yourself, you know what the world needs? The world needs more podcasts. We need a better way for white men in their 30s and 40s to tell us all what to do with our lives. And that's why you found this podcast. You thought, gosh, what a unique and different podcast from the billions of other podcasts out there. I know. And I'm here to the rescue for you. And all I ask in return is that maybe, maybe would you consider subscribing if you haven't already? Would you consider leaving a five-star review or rating the show on Apple Podcasts? Because again, there's just so little content out there and there are so few people like me. So if you could just leave that review and subscribe, it would mean the world to me. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next week.